I never knew what that meant without further ado. What's the ado? Like, is that just like, yeah, it's amazing. Well, I'm excited. We are in week two of this incredible series. This will be my favorite series we've ever done, Battles and Blessings. I'm letting you know that. I've never said this. I have never, this is breaking news right to our online church. I have never said this will be my favorite series. This will be my favorite series. And you're watching online right now. And uh, during this time of us not being able to gather in the building, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, were obviously watching online because we had to. And now we went from having to watch online to, I want you to feel like you get to watch online. I don't want online to feel like uh, uh, a, a second uh, fiddle, if you will, to being here in person because some people aren't ready to come back. I almost didn't come back. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but um, some people uh, are not ready to come back and some people live in a place where they can't uh, come back. You, you saw some of the... Um, you know, cities all over that people obviously can't get in their car and come to uh, church on a Sunday, but I don't want you to feel disconnected. We really believe the pandemic has showed us that uh, media is used by the kingdom of darkness. Why can't it be used by the kingdom of light? So um, we are not stopping online. We don't say things like, hey, if you can't come to church in person, watch online. No, if you're in online, you're at home with your family, you are at church. Right now, wherever you're at, you are at church. The Bible says where two or more are gathered, God is in their midst. So if you're watching alone, maybe even FaceTime somebody, pull a picture of somebody, God's presence is there. No, you can watch church by yourself. And, and we really believe that God is going to use this church mightily um, through our online platform. I believe last week, almost 1,700 people engaged in our online church family. And so uh, we want you to have all the same things. You know, uh, our church is our family and I want my kids to have the same thing. So why don't I never get a birthday gift for Dallas and not get a birthday gift for Bailey. I wouldn't have a campus pastor uh, for Wilshire Normandy when we do our church in North Hollywood, not have a campus pastor there. And so what we really felt is that God was calling us. Obviously, I'm the lead pastor of the church, but I want wanted to dedicate a couple, dedicated to bringing community, life, uh, and, and health to our online community. And we wanted it to make it someone's calling and job to make sure that you feel connected. And so we've decided to actually have, for the first time ever, 37 years of Oasis Church, we are having online campus pastors. Isn't this amazing? And there is absolutely no better couple. Matter of fact, if you asked me to be the online campus pastors, I would tell you I got a better couple. And the better couple is your new online campus pastors. You're going to meet them in person, but I want to tell you that an incredible couple, absolutely called by God, Colton and Jessica Townley will be our online campus pastors. We're going to put a picture of their wonderful family on the screen. Their kids are amazing, cutest kids in the world. And next week during this service, you're going to get a chance to, to meet them 
uh, virtually. I was going to say in person, but virtually. And then you're going to be able to hear from them. And they're just incredible communicators, preachers. Better yet, they're just awesome people. And so I love the fact that we are really engaging in online in this way. And so we're going to have virtual connect groups. You're going to have online campus pastors, people who are designed to get you through the steps of discipleship so you are not left out of anything in our church. Are you excited about it? This is going to be incredible. I'm just... Colton and Jessica are amazing. Colton hits a driver really far, too. That's one of the reasons why I picked him for this job. Uh, so, I mean, it's great. <laughs> hey, so week two of Battles and Blessings. Are you ready? If you're ready, put it in the chat. I am ready. Uh, I'm going to call this message Uncommon Sense. Uncommon Sense. Uh, the reason why I'm calling this message is because I'm going to be preaching from Joshua uh, chapter 2. And, and Joshua chapter 1, uh, I realized as I was uh, reliving and rethinking last week's sermon, if you didn't get a chance to watch that, please do. It'll definitely help you uh, connect to this week. Matter of fact, I want to challenge you, since I said this is my favorite series, I want to challenge you to not miss one. I don't mean that if you are having brunch, or, but go back and watch every single one in this series, because I believe it's going to connect us and prepare us for what God has for us. But uh, last week I was thinking, man, uh, Joshua kind of made sense. You know, the way that he served Moses, he was Moses' assistant, he was a warrior. So of course, if they're going to uh, fight in the promised land, it would make sense that God would pick Joshua. He was a warrior. He, he, was a, he served. The, we talked about last week how he lingered in the presence of God. And so anytime you would have a warrior who lingered in the presence of God, you would go, yeah, that makes sense why God would pick Joshua. Joshua to lead his people to the promised land, Joshua makes sense. And I think if we're not careful, we only do the things that God wants us to do that makes sense. We feel like if it doesn't make sense, then we spend all of our spiritual energy making God explain to us, making people explain to us why us, why this, why that. You know, sometimes even in leadership, you know, when you're leading people, typically the reason why only great communicators end up in leadership is because we live in a culture where if you can't make it make sense, I'm not doing it. I would be able to love to stand up in a church service and just say Christ is Lord and everyone falls out and gives their life to Jesus. But no, we have to make it make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't, it, it, I'm not doing it. Uh, DJ Quick said, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. But, uh, but sometimes I'm just trying to figure out, does it have to make sense? Do I have to make sense? And I think we try to make sense out of God and God makes a lot of decisions that doesn't make any sense. So I feel like this week is a little bit of a bait and switch because Joshua chapter one is like, oh, this makes sense. And all of a sudden, Joshua chapter two, we are going to hear about a story of a prostitute that God uses to get people into the promised land. Are you ready? I just got to preface this. Week number one, mighty warrior, a man who lingers in the presence of God. Week number two, a prostitute, both used mightily by God to get what God wants his people to have. I'm going to read from Joshua 
uh, chapter two, verse one. And we're going to unpack this a little bit in week number two. It says, then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Wait a minute. Joshua chapter 1-9, we read it last week. Be strong and courageous. Joshua chapter 2, two people spend the night at the house of a prostitute. I'm a little confused. This seems like we're like switching gears. Is this in, in the Bible? But no, I want you to catch something in this passage of scripture. Last week, if you watched the message, which if you didn't, again, shameless plug, please watch it. I told the story about how 12 spies were sent into the promised land to scout it. Two spies said it's awesome. Ten spies said we can't do it. And so only those two spies were able to enter into the promised land. And then now Joshua, as he's getting ready to go to war, he decides not to send 12 spies, but two. He lowers the amount of number of the people who go, increasing the chances that they will agree. So many times we think more is better. More people coming to church, more friends. Some of you lost friends. Anybody lose some friends in the pandemic? Anybody down 10 friends in the pandemic? One of our pastors asked me in this last 15 months, he's like, who are you shocked to not see in your life after the pandemic? Who are you shocked to see stepped up and became some of your dearest friends? And who are you shocked that didn't show up? I mean, there's been a bit of attrition in this season where I feel close to this person and this person I haven't talked to. Joshua said, you know what? I'm not going to send 12 people this time. I'm going to send two. So many of us go, all I got is two. All I got is two friends. All I got is $2 on pump eight. Anybody, come on, you struggling like that? You know, you put $2 on pump eight, you can't even afford a gallon of gas. Anybody been there recently? I've, I've done it. All you got is two. All you got is two. And I want to prophesy over somebody that God is so faithful. If that's all you got, that's all you need. Wait a minute. Sometimes all you got is all you need. And the enemy wants to convince you that all you got is not enough therefore deeming God unfaithful. But all he had was two spies, and that was all he needed. The 12 spies that went out, 10 of them were excess. And I just feel like God is saying, sometimes I, I make things a little smaller so I can make things a lot better. I'm going to make something a little smaller so I can make it a lot better. But some of us were believing for big dreams to happen. Anybody believing for some big dreams and you want to do it big? Brandon was talking about this earlier about how the culture says, you know, uh, man up. But I believe our culture is like, we got to do it big. Every pastor dreams of a big church. The actors want to book a big job. Nobody just prays. Hey, can you pray for me? I'm in the industry. I really hope I'm an extra. You ever seen those extras that overact in the background? This is my favorite thing about any I feel like on a TV show where the extra is in the background and you know the person who really wants to be a great actor because they're an extra and they're supposed to be doing a dancing scene and like everyone's just going like this and the extra's like, 
and there's always an eye dart into the camera. Like, it's so funny to me. Extras over acting is hysterical. God wants to make things a little smaller so he can make them a lot better. And some of you aren't getting as many opportunities as you're used to getting, but they're going to be big ones. And not big in the sense of, like, size. Like, I mean, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, this man, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, was doing it big. He lived in a palace. He had, he was drinking out of gold. Imagine drinking Kool-Aid out of a gold cup, a latte out of gold. It's just everything. Nebuchadnezzar was doing big. He had, his money was so tall, all the girls wanted to fall. He just had everything. It was just amazing. Yes, I can. Because that's how he was living his life. And we're not careful we want to be Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel had his name stripped from him and all this stuff. So the Bible says that Daniel the prophet is used by God to tell Nebuchadnezzar a very scary verse. He says, the Lord has weighed you and you've come up short. Wait a minute. So when the church and, and, and when the entertainment industry and when the world uses a, a, a measuring stick or, or, or uses, the, God's using a scale. He said, you've been weighed. God called Nebuchadnezzar, who was doing it big, a lightweight. None of this means anything. The, the glory of God has a weight to it. And so what I'm suggesting we do in the season coming out of the lack that we've had is maybe we don't dream big, we dream heavy. The glory of the Lord has a weight to it. We read that verse last week that the glory, the goodness of God has a, a weight to it. And when we're dreaming big, that means that we want the, the people to honor us this way. But when we're dreaming heavy, we want to honor God this way. We have to dream heavy, not just dream big. And so because God is bringing a weight to your calling in this next season, uh, uh, we're in a little bit of a downsize, as they say in corporate America. God downsized the church. He might have downsized your family, but it's not a layoff. It's a layup. God is literally preparing you for exaltation through the downsizing. You have less than you've ever had because it's going to get heavier than it ever has. And I don't want a big church. I want a heavy church. I want a church that God weighs that God weighs and he's pleased with it. God did not measure Nebuchadnezzar. He weighed Nebuchadnezzar. God does not weigh his church. He uh, measure his church. He weighs his church. God does not account, count attendance. He weighs the glory of the Lord in the church. And so this downsize that Joshua went through was a good one. Somebody ain't, this is a, this is a tough point. Cause we want more, right? Like I want more money. Like, like I do, we all want more, but God's saying, no, I, I gotta, I gotta downsize. Bible says, so the two men came out, uh, to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there throughout the night. Now, let me just stop here. Um, this was so uncomfortable for, and I've done some research on this. This was so uncomfortable for Bible scholars who were interpreting scripture 
that they tried to change Rahab's profession. So the early transcripts of the word of God, they would say she was a landlord, an innkeeper. They couldn't handle that Rahab was a prostitute. And so they wanted to change her to make themselves feel comfortable that God would use her. Don't we do that? We want people to change to make ourselves feel more comfortable. We want to change what people, let's just not tell them you did that. Let's not, I don't know if the church is ready for your testimony yet. Like we want. People do that. And I feel like I was talking to my friend the other day and um, we were talking about some of the struggles that he was having um, as a Christian. And, and, and it was like, he, he didn't feel comfortable telling like people what he was dealing with because people get uncomfortable. And I was telling him, you know, like you probably shared your sins and your struggles with someone who doesn't have those sins. Cause I think so many times we like, we, we want people to feel comfortable. So we don't, we don't share our, our stuff cause we don't want to make them uncomfortable. And, and, and they were so uncomfortable. They changed Rahab's profession to make it make more sense because it doesn't make sense that God would use a prostitute. I have a hard time with this because there's so many things about me that sometimes I feel like, should I change that to make people feel more comfortable? Because sometimes when people feel more comfortable, things get more profitable. More people come. Comfort sells. Comfort sells. You start a burlap blanket business, you ain't going to make no money because it's uncomfortable. Comfort sells. People want to be comfortable. People don't want to be comforted. They want to be comfortable. So, so God is a comforter, which means that he strategically guides you through situations where you need his comfort to get through it. Comfortable means that I'm never in a position where I need God to comfort me. And so God puts them in a situation. Now, mind you, they're spies in Jericho, y'all. This girl, if she tells on them, they're dead. I want you to back this up because how many people go, hey, believe you can rely on God? Anybody believe that? One person in here believes it? But online, how many believe you can rely on God? I heard this person said, recently told me, we need to learn to rely on God and not people. Well, the people are the body of Christ. And that makes sense, right? But uncommon sense would be God saying, hey, Joshua, I got you. I will never leave you or forsake you. We read it last week. No man will stand before you all the days of your life. And the next chapter, if a prostitute tells on them, they're dead. And now God is making them rely on a prostitute when he said, you can rely on me. Why? Why Rahab? Well, probably because she was good at hiding men. He sent them to a place to hide them to a person who was good at hiding men. And I want to prophesy over somebody right now. If you get nothing out of this tonight, if you get nothing out of week two, because last week we talked about the blessing and everybody that you should have seen this place. It was electric. Online, I'm getting text message. But this week, we got to talk about the hiding. 
Because God often hides you before he blesses you. He puts you in places where no one can see you. No one knows you're there. Anybody felt like nobody knows they're there? Does anyone know I'm here? 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 (laughs) Confirming you're alone? (laughs) As your voice reverberates off the cave of your soul. How poetic was that? And you are alone. God's not hurting you. He's hiding you. Because there's an enemy that if they discover. So before he blesses you, he hides you. And we spend our life's mission wanting to come out of hiding. And God will often use the people who are hurting to do the hiding. Some of you have the meanest boss you've ever had because they're using the hurting to produce the hiding. Some of you just cannot seem to get ahead and you're saying, you're calling it like you're not, but it's uncommon sense for God to put a calling on your life to tell you I'm gonna bless you and then hide you. I don't want anyone to know you're awesome. I don't want anyone to know you're gifted. And we live in a world where we can promote anything on Instagram. I posted something today. My wife and I started a podcast. Um, and if you want to listen to it, you can. It would be great. You probably won't, according to my YouTube views, but that's okay. But right there, there's a button that said promote. Like, I could push this button, and more people would see this than would see it if I don't push this button. But there isn't a button that goes hide. I'm going to put all of this effort and all of this energy into a podcast and I want to promote it. And God will literally, this is uncommon sense, God will literally put all this effort and all this energy and all these things into you, making you the person that is going to change the world and he hits the hide button. And we want him to hit the promote button and he hits the hide button. And I have seen people come out of hiding to promote themselves to their utter destruction. The calling of God doesn't have a marketing budget. Can we stop marketing ourselves? I think we market ourselves. Like, I try my hardest not to market myself. I try my hardest. It's really hard. Like, this podcast, we put a lot of work in it. I'm like reposting everything. And I know who didn't repost too. I know who didn't post. I don't know who didn't post. But some of you are mad because someone didn't promote you. You actually know who didn't promote you. I don't know who didn't promote it. You actually know who didn't promote you. We put all this work on this podcast. I'm on this podcast a little bit because some of y'all, I'm trying to keep you in hiding. Uh, We did this podcast. We've worked on this for weeks, all these meetings. And... Yasmin Carter, savage, helped us pull it off. If you need help pulling something off, call Yasmin Carter. Just say yes. I just plugged her. Just say yes. And so we're saying, all right, so what's the win? Right? We put all this work in it. What's the win? How many people are going to listen to it? Thousands? Huh? 10,000? She said, I want to tell you something. Podcast starts slow. 
if 50 people listen to your podcast, that would be a win for the first episode. 50 people. We just worked on this thing for 88 months. I'm the lead pastor of a mega church in California. What do you mean? There are thousands of people that come to the church. You mean to tell me that Moi's podcast is only going to get... She prophesied hiding. Not a lot of people are going to know about it, but you and God. What if you're in hiding on purpose? And what if the place that God is hiding you would make everyone give you an accusation that you don't deserve? They hit two men in a prostitute's house. That means those men were getting talked about why they were in the house. Oh my God. Hiding you in a place where everyone's judging you. Everyone's like, yep, that's them. They're over there with that uh, lady friend, whatever you want to call it. I was going to say another word, but I didn't. He hit him prophesied a blessing then he hit him. And I'm staying on this a minute because uh, the, 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 Jesus had a season of hiding. And he would heal people and tell people not to tell anyone. Keep me in hiding for the prophesied season because when I come out of hiding, it's over. See, the purpose of the hiding place and I don't know how long you're going to be in hiding. But when the hiding place becomes a holy place, you're ready to come out. Can I just preach to you right now? When the hiding place becomes a holy place, you're ready to come out. You're ready to come out when you don't want to come out. The hiding place is a holy place. I've never prayed more in this place than I've prayed in my life. I've never preached to myself more in this place than I've ever. I've never spoken scripture over myself. I've never had more joy. I've never had more peace. I've never had more faith. I used to be angry to be here, but now I'll be here forever because my hiding place has become a holy place. When the hiding place becomes a holy place, you're ready to come out of hiding. Bible says in verse 2, but, but someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I did not know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. Can you imagine these two spies in hiding? hearing the people who are there to kill them talking to a prostitute. And if the prostitute rats them out, it's over. Can you imagine eavesdropping that conversation? And it says, I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the, on the roof to talk with them. I know 
the Lord has given you this land. This is just good. I just read it and it's preaching to me. Your enemy knows what God has for you. I know God has given you this land. You're in hiding in my house and I know that God has given you what God wants to give you. I wonder if the two spies were hiding on the roof wondering, has God really given us this land? And Rahab, who's living in enemy territory, says, I know God has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you have completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts are melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. I want to just speak to you right now. One of the reasons God puts you in hiding is because he's building his reputation, not yours. And so you want to come out of hiding to build your reputation. But while God is putting you in hiding and cutting you off from building your reputation, God is building his. So that by the time you come out of hiding, your enemies will say, we have heard what God has done for you. We heard all about you. Did you know that the enemies of God were scared of God's people? Why are we so scared of the enemy? Put in the chat, the devil don't want no smoke. A little bit of a clarification for those who don't know what smoke is. Maddie, do you know what smoke is? Maddie? Maddie is, she said, yes, sir. I don't know why. We're really close. I don't know why she said, yes, sir. She's probably just nervous. Maddie is young, but she's, she knows. What does smoke mean, Maddie? Tell the listeners at home. You don't want the heat. You don't want to fight. This is great. This is great. Catch a L. Look at Maddie. Oh, my gosh. AKA Lakeisha, let's go. This is great. We think the devil wants smoke and the devil doesn't want smoke. The devil's actually afraid of spirit-filled believers. Do you know what's the issue with the church is? We should want the smoke with the devil because if you want the smoke with the devil, the devil doesn't want any smoke with you. This is something that you have to understand. I have seen people want smoke with their wife. They want the smoke with their husband. They want to smoke with the boyfriend. They want to smoke with the girlfriend. They want to smoke with people. They want to smoke with pastors. They want, it. They want to beef with everybody else. But when the devil shows up, they cower down and back down. And like some, a demon-possessed person comes in the room and Christians run. Bible says the devil doesn't want anything to do with you and I. You got to understand this. She's saying, we've heard about you and we're all terrified. Not this girl who's the prostitute. She said they're all terrified. Listen to this. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the devil will run from you. 
What could you do to make the devil run? What could you do? It says right there in the scripture, submit to God. The devil runs from you because of who you are representing. You know, so many times when there's demonic activity going on, we think that spit and shouting makes demons afraid. We do. I've actually done this before. Somebody's dealing with some issue. We decree and declare that no weapon formed against you will prosper in the name of Jesus. I called down heaven. The Bible says what we loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. And in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of that right out. We start yelling. And the more spit, the more salvation. But no, it's not spit, it's submission. It's not shouting, it's submission. The enemy knows who you're submitted to. And he knows what God will do for someone who submitted to him. And so they're terrified. This is so important that our submission to God is protection. Our grace is favor. Our submission is protection. Our grace is our favor. Our submission is our protection. Here is what's wrong at whole with the Western church. We love grace. We don't want submission. There's grace for that. Love who you love. Be with who you want to be with. Don't matter what the Bible says. Don't matter what the Bible says about that. If I don't like that part of the Bible, get rid of it. Get rid of it. There's grace. And the devil goes, yep, there's grace. God loves you just the way you are. And so I'm going to wait for God to give you that thing because of his grace and take it from you because you don't have his protection because you're not submitted. I'll wait till you get it because you'll forfeit it. Yeah, you'll get it, but you can't keep it. Obedience helps you keep what God gave you because he loves you. Am I preaching to somebody? So, so it's, it's, he's saying, I'm, not, I'm scared of the submitted person. And sub, submission means I live my life in subject to, which means God could tell me something that is uncommon sense and I'm going to do it because I'm living my life in subject to my king. So watch this, because you're getting ready to come into the promised land. Your enemies better know you. They better have heard about your God in the spiritual realm. I'm not saying like you're going to like have some beef in the hood and somebody like, have you heard about my God? <laughs> no, I'm talking about like spiritual <laughs> warfare. Think about this uh, passage of scripture. This is a scary demon possessed man in Acts chapter 19. God gave Paul the power uh, verse 11, to perform unusual miracles when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people. They were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, in their speeches, saying they were spitting, but not submitted. I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who are you? <laughs> That's so terrifying. A demon. We've heard of Brandon. We know Nelson. Who are you? We don't have to submit to you because you don't submit to God. 
We know who submitted to God, and you're not one of them. And the Bible says, <laughs> this is not funny, but I think it's funny. Then the evil man, then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. And they were stripped of everything they came in. Oh, my God. What they came into that place with, they left without. Beat up and not having anything that they came in the house with. So the enemy will wait for you to get something through grace, and then when you're not submitted, you will leave stripped of everything God gave you. Because we know, we know Mallory. I know Grace and Warren and Brianna. I mean, I know, I know Sam and Wes. I'm, who are you? We don't know you. Your enemy knows you. And he's afraid of you because of who you're submitted to. And I believe prophetically I'm saying to this to somebody right now, you're going to have a moment where you face the greatest opposition to keep what God has given you. And if you have that moment where the devil can go, who are you? And your identity is wrapped in what you want. Enemy goes, who are you? You're an actor. You're not a son of God. You're a pastor. You're not a son of God or daughter of God. You're, you're a musician. You're not a, you're a business. You're a millionaire. You're not, we know your identity. Who are you? We know the sons, those who are led by the spirit, the Bible says, are the sons and the daughters of God. You do not want to be in your biggest battle of your life. And because your identity is not your relationship with Christ, the demons and the evil spirits trying to keep you from what God has for you go, who are you? I don't know you. One of my finest moments in all of ministry was outside this church. This guy was walking down the street. And he definitely had a demon. Really nice shoes. So demons are sneakerheads, obviously. <laughs> because he had on some Jordans. And I was like, I get it. I got to like look down. I think we had on like the same style of shoes. I was like, shoot. Like, are these the devil's shoes? The devil is a lie. No, they're not. Nike app. Um, finest moments of ministry. This is a true story. Walking down the street. And this dude is tripping. He's like, <laughs> he's speaking in some crazy language. And I walk past him, and he goes, we know you. Was I with somebody here? Who was I? He's like, we know you. Was I with Jamaica? I was with somebody in our church. We know you. And I said, I know you do. I know you do. I come back, and that person's gone. They were sitting on a wall. Come back. I just grabbed a smoothie, came back, and they were gone. We know you. And there was this moment where I'm like, okay, I got to keep living my life submitted to God because there are people out there that the enemy has set up to keep you out of what God has for you. And if you are living any other identity, if your sexuality is your identity, if your career is your identity, don't fall for this narrative that's in this state because in order to get what God has for you, you're going to have this moment where your enemy can go, who are you? And if you can't answer the question, they're going to come take what God gave you. 
So if the enemy can't keep you from getting what God has for you, he'll control how long you have it. In this prophetic moment where God, where the enemy has to know that you walk with the Lord. She said, man, we're all terrified. And if you keep going in this scripture, um, the Bible says she ended up uh, protecting the two spies. And in verse 12, after telling them that she knows who they are, uh, she says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she had set them down by a rope through the window, escaped to the hill country, she told them, hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow the instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down and all of your family members. This decision that she made affected her whole family. Your father your mothers, brothers, all of your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. Now he's asking them to go into hiding. But if anyone lays a hand on the people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by the oath in any way. And she said, I accept your terms. Rahab got her life saved off of one decision. But not only that, what makes uncommon sense to me is Rahab one day will get married. She would get married. I'm going to invite the team to come up. So one day she would get married. And um, she married a man, and they would have a son by the name of Boaz. It's a great name, by the way, Boaz. God Rahab did one thing, just one thing. And she was going to die if she didn't do that one thing. But God didn't stop there because she did that one thing. It says in Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is born. And it says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Verse 2 said, Abraham was the father of Isaac. We love Abraham. Remember that song, Father Abraham had many sons. We make up songs about Abraham. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon? Salmon? I got to call him Salmon. I, I, your name can't be Salmon. <laughs> Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the mother of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, 
I'm confused. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Wait a minute. Tamar had some, I don't even have time to get in with Tamar. Tamar had some janky stuff go down. Like, you got to look it up. So here's a woman, Tamar, who's mentioned in the lineage. And like, she slept with family members. It was like, like, it was bad. Like, rape and crazy stuff. All the men, I have their issues. But there are three women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar. Rahab, and then Ruth, four, and Bathsheba. Ruth was a Moabite woman, and God had said in Deuteronomy that no Moabite woman, no Moabite will ever be in my presence. And because Ruth made a decision, she got in on the... So Rahab was the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-
And holiness is this word that we don't like to use in church because it simply means that we're submitted to God. And, and God wants some things to, um, like you're in an airport and God wants to take you very far for a very long time. And when we travel in the natural, the further we go and the longer we plan to be there, the more baggage we take. But in the kingdom, the further you go and the longer you're going to be there, the less baggage you take. And so God is putting you in a hiding place so that the hiding place can become a holy place. There's some habits, some addictions, some sins that you have, and God wants you to go, but that sin cannot go to that next place. And God has been speaking to me. It's not that I, I'm mad. I just can't have that in this place. So I prophesied the place and I'm putting you in hiding because the hiding place is the place where only me and you know that thing. We only know about it. And I don't want everybody to know about that. I'm the one who sent the angel to tell Joseph, don't keep what happened with Mary a secret because not everybody will understand that Mary had a baby through immaculate conception. So don't tell anybody. The hiding place is sometimes used to work out those issues that you know you have. And you keep praying to come out of the hiding place, but it's the hiding place where God does his most holy work. And God is saying that I need you to engage in my presence because I'm using the hiding to make you holy. And when I use the hiding to make you holy, then what I give you won't make you happy because I already have. And so, Lord, we remain in this hiding place. And God will use your enemies to hide you. The people that should be helping you or hiding you. I've been hidden by people who I thought would help me. And I used to blame them, but now I know it's God. And I'm praying right now that someone out there is blaming someone else. There is a spirit of blame at Oasis Church. They're blaming someone else for the position they're in because you want that person to help you and God is using that person to hide you. And the Lord is saying, this is the place where I'm going to do my greatest work. It's this hiding place. And I know it doesn't make sense. And I almost said, and one day it will, but you know what? It might never make sense. And so, Father, do something special. Give them what they need to make it through that hiding place you have them in. In Jesus' name, amen.